My name is Bogdan Aurescu. I'm a professor of international law at the Law School of the University of Bucharest. And I have the pleasure to uh, present to you today a lecture on the topic sea level rise in relation to international law, a concrete contribution by the International Law Commission to solving a problem of pressing concern for the international community. It is a great honor for me as a member of the UN International Law Commission, as a professor of the Law School of the University of Bucharest, and as a foreign minister of Romania, to be able to hold this lecture for the lecture series of the UN Audiovisual Library of International Law on such a topic of great importance and concern for the international community, sea level rise in relation to international law. Naturally, as a member of the International Law Commission and as co-chair of the study group of the Commission on this issue, my lecture will focus on this topic from the perspective of the ILC work dedicated to sea level rise. As you know, the phenomenon of sea level rise is a direct consequence of climate change. It is an undeniable fact, as already proved by the science. According to the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, sea level rise as an adverse impact of climate change is, among other factors, seriously affecting coastal areas and low-lying coastal countries, including many least developed countries and small island developing states. The most recent 2019 Special Report on the Ocean and the Cryosphere in a Changing Climate of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change highlighted the fact that under a continued high greenhouse gas emission scenario, the likely range of sea level rise might extend beyond 1 meter in 2100. The 2021 report of the UN Secretary General on Oceans and the Law of the Sea is indicating in the same direction. And this is a very serious effect of climate change, which cannot be ignored by the international community, and certainly not by the United Nations. Especially when more than 70 states are or are likely to be directly affected by sea level rise, a group which represents more than one-third of the states of the international community. Another similar number of states is likely to be indirectly affected. This means that sea level rise has become a global phenomenon and thus creates global problems impacting on the international community as a whole. And that is why beyond the efforts undertaken at world level, such as within the UN, and at regional level, for instance by the European Union, to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, international law cannot stay idle as well. As pointed out inter alia by the increasing number of interventions of the UN member states in the Sixth Committee, starting mainly with 2017, there are many international law effects of sea level rise. Such effects refer to legal implications of the inundation of low-lying coastal areas and of islands upon baselines, upon maritime zones extending from those baselines and upon the delimitation of maritime zones, upon the rights of states in relation to those maritime zones, upon statehood under international law, should the territory and population of a state disappear, and upon the protection of persons affected by sea level rise. At the level of the Sixth Committee of the UN General Assembly, the recent years witnessed a growing number of appeals for the International Law Commission to introduce the issue of the legal effects of sea level rise on its work program with the purpose to analyze them and to propose possible international law solutions. And indeed, there is a growing interest at UN level for ILC to focus on sea level rise legal effects. For instance, in 2017, there were 24 states that mentioned the importance of the topic. Out of them, 
15 states expressly requesting the inclusion of this topic in the program of work of the Commission. In 2018, 50 statements mentioned the topic, out of which only four were against its inclusion in the work program of the ILC. In 2019, there were 57 delegations which referred to the topic in their interventions, and out of this number, 49 delegations, some of them making statements on behalf of regional groups or organizations, expressed clear support for the decision taken by the Commission to include the topic in its current program of work, while the number of delegations opposing that decision did not grow. Indeed, taking into account the need to respond, including by using the tools of international law, to this pressing concern of the international community as a whole, five members of the International Law Commission, myself, Mr. Jakub Asise, Mrs. Patricia Galvao-Telesh, Mrs. Nilufer Oral, and Mr. Juan José Ruda Santolaria, took the initiative to propose the inclusion of the topic of sea level rise in relation to international law on the agenda of the Commission. Thus, in 2018, the mentioned proponents of this topic have elaborated a syllabus included in Annex B of the 2018 Annual Report of the International Law Commission at its 70th session, which served as basis for the decision of the Commission to include the topic in its long-term program of work. The syllabus mentioned inter alia the rationale of this proposal, the questions to be addressed in the research, and its limits. In this regard, the syllabus provided that three main areas would be considered. Law of the sea, statehood, and protection of persons affected by sea level rise. At the same time, it underlined that, first, this topic would only deal with the legal implications of sea level rise. Second, it would not deal with protection of environment, climate change per se, causation, responsibility, and liability. Third, that the areas to be examined should be analyzed only within the context of sea level rise, notwithstanding other causal factors that may lead to similar consequences. And due attention should be paid where possible to distinguish between consequences related to sea level rise and those from other factors. Fourth, that this topic would not propose modifications to existing international law, such as the 1982 Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS, and last but not least, that other questions may arise in the future requiring analysis. It was also proposed in the syllabus that a study group of the International Law Commission would consider the topic once included in the current work program. The syllabus underlined that the format of a study group would allow for a mapping exercise, a mapping exercise of the legal questions raised by sea level rise and its interrelated issues. The study group would analyze the existing international law, including treaty and customary international law, in accordance with the mandate of the Commission, which is to perform codification of customary international law and its progressive development. It was also stressed that this effort could contribute to the endeavors of the international community to respond to these issues and to assist states in developing practicable solutions in order to respond effectively to the issues prompted by sea level rise. During its following session, in 2019, the Commission decided to include the topic in its current program of work. The Commission also decided to establish an open-ended study group on the topic to be co-chaired on a rotational basis by myself, Mr. Jakub Asise, Mrs. Patricia Galvao-Telesh, Mrs. Nilufer Oral, and Mr. Juan José Ruda Santolaria, the proponents of the inclusion of this topic on the pro work program of the Commission. 
During the same session, the study group started its activity by establishing its calendar and methods of work. In that regard, the study group decided that it would examine first the issues related to the law of the sea. In 2020, under the co-chairpersonship of myself and Mrs. Oral, and the issues related to statehood and to the protection of persons affected by sea level rise in 2021, under the co-chairpersonship of Mrs. Galvao Telesh and Mr. Ruda Santolaya. To that purpose, the study group agreed that prior to each session, the co-chairs would prepare an issues paper, which would serve as the basis for the discussions in the study group and for the annual contribution of the members of the study group. It would also serve as the basis for subsequent reports of the study group on each subtopic. Members of the study group would then be invited to put forward contribution papers that could comment upon or complement the issues paper prepared by the co-chairs, and at the end of each session of the Commission, the work of the study group would be reflected in a report taking due account of the issues paper presented by the co-chairs and the related contribution papers by the members, while summarizing, summarizing the discussions of the study group. That report would be agreed upon in the study group and subsequently presented by the co-chairs to the Commission, so that a summary be included in the annual report of the Commission. Following these decisions, the first issue's paper, focusing on the law of the sea aspects related to sea level rise, was elaborated by myself and by Mrs. Oral, and published in June 2020 as an official document on the website of the Commission. Unfortunately, the pandemic has changed the foreseen calendar of the work, and we were unable to discuss our issue's paper in 2020. Because of the pandemic, pandemic, the 2020 session of the Commission was postponed, so we were only able to debate on the first issue's paper during the 2021 session of the ILC. Before presenting the results of that debate, let me elaborate on the structure and content of the first issue's paper, which covers, as already mentioned, the law of the sea aspects related to sea level rise. The introduction beyond aspects related to the history of the inclusion of the topic in the Commission's program also includes a presentation of the debates in the Sixth Committee on the topic starting with 2017. I already mentioned them earlier, so I will not repeat that presentation. I will only briefly say that in 2020, because of the pandemic, the debate in the Sixth Committee took place under special circumstances, and there were, were only 25 national statements during the one day dedicated to the ILC work as a whole. However, these statements are important since they represent reactions by member states after the first issues paper was published. Out of these 25 statements, 14 refer to our topic, 11 of them expressed appreciation for the first issues paper, and the rest of three statements mentioned the first issues paper. The said presentation of the debates on this topic in the Sixth Committee in 2018 and 2019, included in the first issues paper, also indicated in a condensed manner the main views expressed by the UN member states in relation to the topic especially on the issues of state practice on the topic, on the need for the Commission to respect in the course of the work on the topic the unclosed provisions, on the need to fill in the existing lacuna of non-regulation by the current international law of this topic. And it also presents the views of the Member States on the issue, which we the co-chairs considered very important in dealing with this topic, of preserving legal stability, security, certainty and predictability in international law, it includes as well the views of those few member states that opposed the inclusion of the topic on the Commission's program. 
The introduction also comprises a brief review of the scientific findings and prospects of sea level rise, a presentation of the previous references to the topic in the works of the Commission, and the consideration of this topic by the International Law Association. Indeed, the, the International Law Association first examined inter alia the topic of sea level rise within its Committee on Baselines under the International Law of the Sea, whose final report was considered at the ILA SOFIA conference in 2012. In 2012, the International Law Association established a new committee on international law and sea level rise, which decided to concentrate its work on the law of the sea, on forced migration and human rights, and on issues of statehood and international security. An interim report of that committee, of the International Law Association, which was presented at the ILA Johannesburg Conference in 2016, focused on issues regarding the law of the sea and migration and human rights. Another report was considered at the 2018 Sydney Conference of the International Law Association, which completed the committee's work on law of the sea issues. The committee recommended that the ILA adopt a resolution containing two delegate ferenda proposals. The report and resolution 5 of 2018, adopted at the Sydney Conference, partially endorsed these proposals while maintaining their general conceptual orientation. The 2018 report proposed 12 principles with commentary comprising a declaration of principles on the protection of persons displaced in the context of sea level rise, and this ILA committee will continue the study of the statehood question and other relevant issues of international law in connection with sea level rise. Coming back to the content of the first issue's paper, its part one presents the scope and proposed outcome of the topic, including the limits of action by the study group, as agreed by the members of the Commission in the syllabus that I have already presented. Then the final outcome, as agreed in the 2018 syllabus, is presented a final report of the study group, accompanied by a set of conclusions on its work. This final report would be finalized in the next quinquennium of the International Law Commission, between 2023 and 2028. Then the issues paper presents the methodological approach, which focuses on state practice. At this point, I would like to emphasize how important it is for the work of the International Law Commission to have such practice available to the study group. The first issues paper relied mainly on the rather limited number of responses to the Commission's request included in the 2019 annual report, and we are grateful to those member states that responded, and on the national statements in the Sixth Committee. It is indeed important for the member states to send to the Commission state practice from all world regions. Now, part two of the first issues paper focuses in chapter one on a very important aspect, the possible legal effects of sea level rise on the baselines and outer limits of the maritime spaces that are measured from the baselines. After section A of this chapter presents an overview of the unclosed provisions on the role of baselines in establishing maritime spaces and their outer limits, section B presents an analysis of the effects of the ambulation of the baseline as a result of sea level rise. This analysis is based not only on the interpretation of the mentioned unclosed provisions, but specifically on the positions expressed by the member states in the submissions to the Commission in response to the request for state practice and in their statements before the Sixth Committee. 
we have noticed, as already emphasized, a high degree of convergence as to the need for preserving legal stability, security, certainty, and predictability in connection with this topic. Dispositions of member states also provide examples of state practice that, on one hand, refer to the establishment of fixed baselines and outer limits of maritime zones, and, on the other hand, to measures of physical protection of their coasts against sea level rise effects. All statements tackling the issue of baselines and limits of maritime zones have advocated for the solution of fixed baselines and or maintaining the position of maritime zones, maritime entitlements, while no statement was in favor of an ambulatory system. We, we have also analyzed the practice of regional organizations, and that is included in paragraph 102 of the first issue's paper. The preliminary observations resulting from our analysis from this chapter are included in paragraph 104 of the first issue's paper, and I will briefly present them in the following minutes, because they are indeed important. One of the first observations was that at the time of the negotiation of UNCLOS, sea level rise and its effects were not perceived as an issue that needed to be addressed, which is evident from the examination of the travaux préparatoires of the UNCLOS. At the same time, we noted that part of the doctrine interpreted the convention as prescribing an ambulatory character for baselines and the outer limits of the maritime zones measured therefrom, with two exceptions. One is the permanency of the continental shelf seaward limits, and second of the coastlines that are highly unstable because of the presence of deltas and other natural phenomena, a situation that allows for the use of a straight baseline. We observed that these two exceptions, and especially the latter, show that the spirit of the convention was not rigid in cases where it was possible to foresee the occurrence of natural conditions that could affect legal stability, security, certainty, and predictability. We also noted that the permanency of the continental shelf was also an indication of concern manifested in the Convention for ensuring stability, taking into account the importance of preserving the entitlements of the coastal state in this maritime zone, especially when the exploitation of natural resources is at stake. But again, the problem was that at the time of the drafting of the Convention, sea level rise was not perceived as an issue necessary to be addressed by the law of the sea. Another observation was that these two exceptions, the permanency of the continental shelf, seaward limits, and of the coastlines that are highly unstable because of the presence of deltas and other natural phenomena, cannot be used, however, to address the effects of sea level rise, neither by an extensive interpretation nor by analogy. Nor can this, the use of straight baselines, as suggested by some scholars, be efficient when there is a substantial rise in sea level. Another observation was that the ambulatory theory or method regarding baselines and the limits of maritime zones measured from them did not respond to the concerns expressed by member states that are prompted by the effects of sea level rise, especially as, as regards the rights of the coastal state in the various maritime zones and the consequent need to preserve legal stability, security, certainty, and predictability. Consequently, another observation was that an approach responding adequately to these concerns was one based on the preservation of baselines and outer limits of the maritime zones measured therefrom, as well as of the entitlements of the coastal state, 
The convention does not prohibit expressis verbis such preservation. In any case, we noted that the obligation provided by Article 16 of UNCLOS to give due publicity to and deposit copies of charts and lists of coordinates about baselines only refers to straight baselines, which are less affected by sea level rise and not to normal baselines. And even in the case of straight baselines, the Convention does not indicate an obligation to draw and notify new baselines when coastal conditions change, or as a consequence new outer limits of maritime zones measured from the baselines. Consequently, the following observation was that nothing prevented Member States from depositing notifications in accordance with the Convention regarding the baselines and outer limits of maritime zones measured from the baselines, and after the negative effects of sea level rise occurred, to stop updating these notifications in order to preserve their entitlements. A further observation stated that, as evidenced by the submissions by Member States to the Commission in response to the request included in Chapter 3 of, it, of its 2019 Annual Report, the statements of the delegations of Member States before the Sixth Committee and the official declarations of regional bodies, there is a body of state practice under development regarding the preservation of baselines and of outer limits of maritime zones measured from the baselines. That state practice relates to the establishment of fixed baselines and outer limits of maritime zones measured from the baselines, on the one hand, by freezing the notifications, and on the other, by ensuring physical protection of their coasts against the effects of sea level rise. Another observation referred to the availability of state practice. Information on such state practice was available to the co-chairs of the study group only for the Pacific, uh, Asian, mainly Southeast Asian, and to some extent North American regions, alongside some indicating a similar trend for the Caribbean. Unfortunately, there were no submissions received by the Commission from Africa or Latin America, although the effects of sea level rise also affect these regions. A very limited number of submissions from European states indicate that their national legislation provides for the obligation or possibility to apply an ambulatory baseline system, but at the same time, the absence for the time being of submissions from these regions does not necessarily imply the lack of similar state practice. A further observation referred to the fact that, based on the above, it is early to draw at this stage a definitive conclusion on the emergence of a particular or regional customary rule, or even of a general customary rule of international law regarding the preservation of baselines and of outer limits of maritime zones measured from the baselines. Prima facie, based on the available data, the application of the requirements provided by the Commission's conclusions on identification of customary international law of 2018 in conclusions 4 to 8 and 16, for the material element of the custom, point to the, to the observation that, at least for the Pacific and Southeast Asia regions, there is state practice, supported by practice of international organizations, which includes both physical and verbal acts, as well as inaction, has the form of diplomatic acts and correspondence, conducts in connection with resolutions adopted by international organizations, or at an intergovernmental conference, conduct in, connection, in connection with treaties, executive conduct, including operational conduct on the ground, and legislative and administrative acts, and it is widespread and representative among the states of these regions, as well as consistent and more and more frequent. 
Nevertheless, we also noted that the existence of the opinio juris was not yet that evident, although the general reliance of the conduct of the respective states in their practice, as mentioned, on the grounds of legal stability and security, may be an indication in that sense. In order for a definitive conclusion to be possible, more submissions by member states of the Commission in response to the request included in Chapter 3 of its 2019 annual report are needed. Then Chapter 2 of Part 2 of the First Issues paper focuses on the possible legal effects of sea level rise on maritime delimitations. After presenting briefly the maritime delimitation rules and method, the chapter points out in paragraph 111 that, as in the case of the possible legal effects of sea level rise on baselines and the outer limits of maritime zones, also in the case of examining the possible legal effects of sea level rise on maritime delimitations, a key approach should be to favor the preservation of stability, security, certainty, and predictability, as emphasized by the member states in their statements before the Sixth Committee. Indeed, bringing into question effective maritime delimitations would create uncertainty and legal insecurity, and increase the risk of disputes if states were to renegotiate their maritime boundaries. The chapter also analyzed whether sea level rise represented a fundamental change of circumstances, as per Article 62, Paragraph 2 of the 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, that might be invoked in order to question effective maritime delimitations. The first issue's paper noted, including based on the existing international jurisprudence, that states cannot invoke Article 62, Paragraph 2a of the 1969 Vienna Convention to unilaterally terminate or withdraw from a maritime boundary treaty, including because of sea level rise. At any rate, the first issue's paper considers that sea level rise cannot be assimilated with a fundamental change of circumstances since it is not a sudden phenomenon, and it cannot be claimed that it could not be foreseen. Then, beyond the legal interpretation of various treaties and jurisprudence, we analyzed the positions expressed by the member states in their submissions to the Commission in response to the request for such practice, and in their statements before the Sixth Committee. They converge to a large extent as far as the need for preserving legal stability, security, certainty, and predictability of maritime delimitations in connection with the present topic. We have also used the research on treaty practice kindly undertaken by the Secretariat of our Commission, based on a review of treaties and international agreements registered or filed and recorded with the UN Secretariat and published in the UN Treaty Series database. The search in the database of the approximately 250 treaties relating to maritime delimitation revealed that most of them, with a few exceptions, do not include provisions on amendments. On the contrary, a number of these treaties expressly include provisions on the permanent character on the, of the respective maritime delimitations. At the same time, the search in the UN Treaty Series database did not reveal any treaty providing for the explicit adjustment of a maritime delimitation as a consequence of sea level rise. The preliminary conclusions of this chapter were included in paragraph 141 of the first issue's paper, and beyond the observations already presented, this paragraph also includes the following observations. First, it is quite clear that the state practice generally supports the preservation of existing maritime delimitations, either effected by agreement or by adjudication, 
notwithstanding the coastal changes produced subsequently, including by sea level rise. As to the issue of existing claims to the uh, uh, entitlement to maritime spaces, in the case of future maritime delimitations, we noted that further reflection is needed within the study group. Another observation referred to the issue of whether there was an emergence of a customary rule of international law regarding the preservation of baselines and outer limits of maritime zones measured therefrom. And the first issues paper mentioned that there was a clear state practice regarding the preservation of effected maritime delimitations and of maritime boundaries, which generally met the requirements under conclusions 4 to 8 and 16 of the Commission's conclusions on identification of customary international law of 2018 for the material element of the custom. Such state practice is supported by practice of international organizations, includes both physical and verbal acts, as well as inaction, has the form inter alia of conducting connection with treaties, and it is widespread and representative among states, as well as consistent and more and more frequent. Nevertheless, we also noted that the existence of the opinio juris was not yet that evident, although, also in this case, the general reliance of the conduct of the respective states in their practice on the grounds of legal stability and security may be an indication in that sense. Again, we concluded that in order for a definitive conclusion to be possible, more submissions by member states to the Commission in response to the request included in Chapter 3 of its 2019 annual report were needed. Section A of Chapter 4 of, of Part 2 of the First Issues paper examines maritime entitlements under international law. And the purpose of this part was to provide an overview of the development of international law and to outline the current status of the rights and obligations of coastal states and third states in these respective maritime zones. The first issues paper first provides a brief general overview of the period before the codification of the law of the sea, so about customary international law, followed by the relevant 1958 Geneva Conventions and the UNCLOS. Section B of this chapter examined sea level rise in relation to the sovereign rights and jurisdiction of the coastal state and its nationals, and the rights and obligations of third states and their nationals in maritime zones. Section B mapped out the possible consequences on the rights and obligations of the coastal state and third states in the situation where there was a landward shift of the baseline from which the territorial sea is measured. The purpose of this section was to illustrate the specific impacts of a shift in the baseline due to the sea level rise. Just one example is the case where part of the exclusive economic zone could become part of the high seas. The exclusive economic zone confers upon the coastal state exclusive sovereign rights to explore, to exploit, to conserve and manage living and non-living resources, establish and use artificial islands, installations and structures, protect and preserve the maritime uh, environment, conduct marine scientific research and exercise other rights and duties provided under the Convention. An important natural resource for coastal states are fisheries and other marine living resources. For example, the coastal state alone determines the total allowable catch of living resources in its exclusive economic zone, under Article 61 of UNCLOS. In addition, the coastal state can adopt laws and regulations for environmental protective measures, such as protected areas. These rights of the coastal state could be lost in part if part of the exclusive economic zone becomes part of the high seas, 
which enjoys in general an open access regime for all states. The observations resulting from the analysis of Chapter 4 of Part 2 were included in paragraph 190 of the first issue's paper. Then Part 3 of the first issue's paper examines in its Chapter 1 the possible legal effects of sea level rise on the status of islands, including rocks, and on the maritime entitlements of a coastal state with fringing islands. One of the effects of sea level rise is the potential loss of territory, or complete disappearance of an offshore feature. Questions arise as to what legal consequences this might have on its continued status as an island, entitled to the full set of rights under Article 121 of UNCLOS. As stated in paragraph 191 of the first issue's paper, the role, status and entitlements of low tide elevations, islands and other offshore features, including artificial islands, have been a long-standing subject of international law. The first issue's paper provides an historic overview of the development of international law leading up to the adoption of Article 121 of UNCLOS. The issue's paper does not, however, attempt to, nor does it have any intention to enter into the debate of how to classify offshore features. Rather, the purpose of this chapter was to provide a background of state practice, international case law and doctrinal views, highlighting no more than the fact that this is an area with very mixed practice and views. This, in turn, has relevance for the issue of what happens to the entitlements of islands that possibly could become rocks under Article 121, Paragraph 3, with the possible loss of certain maritime zones and entitlements under UNCLOS. Chapter 2 of Part 3 of the first issue's paper examines the legal status of artificial islands, reclamation or island fortification activities as a response or adaptive, adaptive measures to sea level rise. As noted in the first issue's paper, land reclamation is a practice that has taken place for centuries. In relation to sea level rise and climate change, it has acquired added significance as a measure to preserve existing maritime entitlements, either through fortification of the coastline, base points that rest on small features vulnerable to disappear with sea level rise, or islands losing territory. The first issue's paper provides some past and current examples of state practice, for land reclamation and coastal fortification, including through artificial means, as a response to sea level rise. Under UNCLOS, artificial islands are not entitled to any maritime zone. However, there is no definition of an artificial island. The first issue's paper does not engage in offering such a definition. Again, the purpose was to map existing state practice on response measures to sea level rise. The observations resulting from Part 3 were included in paragraph 218 of the first issue's paper, and this concludes my rather extensive presentation of the first issue's paper. As already mentioned, the debate on the first issue's paper within the International Law Commission took place during its uh, 2021 session. It was a very rich and important exchange, since the issue's paper was only the product of the co-chairs and did not reflect as such the view of the dedicated study group or of the Commission as a whole. The study group, which had a very representative composition this year, 30 members out of the 34 members of the Commission, examined the first issue's paper in June and July 2021 during eight meetings. The co-chairs presented the issue's paper and um, the members of uh, the study group have sent contribution papers and presented comments on the first issue's paper, 
in oral and written form, uh, followed by debates. A report of the study group was drafted and discussed by the study group, but owing to the lack of time, it was not adopted as such by the study group. However, its substance was included in the chapter dedicated to the topic in the annual report of the Commission. The views expressed were diverse, and it would take a lot of time to, pre to present them all. Uh, I invite all those interested to consult the annual report for 2021 of the ILC, Chapter 9, paragraphs 240 to 296. I will only make a brief presentation which cannot be exhaustive. Beyond general views emphasizing the importance of the topic and the legitimacy of the concerns expressed by the states affected by sea level rise, together with the need to approach the topic in full appreciation of its urgency, or the various views on the meanings of the term, term stability, certainty, and predictability, the members addressed the main elements tackled in the first issues paper. For instance, the issue of state practice and relevance or not in this regard of the statements by states in the Sixth Committee. It was suggested that in addition to requesting information from states, the Commission should conduct research including reviewing the legislation of all states and the maritime zone notifications transmitted to the Secretary-General under UNCLOS. Also, there were various interpretations of Article 5 related to baselines of UNCLOS. Some members embraced the view that, according to this provision, baselines are ambulatory, while other members observed that the Convention was silent on whether baselines were ambulatory or had to be regularly updated. Members agreed, however, on the importance of and need for assessing state practice on questions relating to the freezing of baselines and the updating or not of charts. It was also noted that not too much should be read into the silence of UNCLOS, as it could be interpreted in different ways. The view was nonetheless also expressed that, consequently, the Convention was not dispositive of the question as to whether baselines were ambulatory or not. It was suggested that um, the principle of stability be further analyzed in this context. Some members expressed agreement with the view of the co-chairs that the interpretation that baselines generally had an ambulatory character did not respond to the concerns of the states facing the effects of sea level rise. It was thus suggested that maintaining existing maritime baselines and limits was an optimal solution that responded to states' interests in connection with the effects of sea level rise. The issue of nav navigational charts was also raised, a view being expressed that updating them was important in the interests of navigational safety, while another view maintained that the potential dangers to navigation might be rather exceptional, given that the coast receded landward in case of sea level rise and that, and that satellite technology was more accessible than ever. Support was expressed for the proposal made by the co-chairs that the issue of navigational charts be further examined. Some members expressed the view that while UNCLOS was a key source for its state parties, other sources should be analyzed further. Such sources could be the 1958 Geneva Conventions and other multilateral and bilateral instruments, the principle that land dominates the sea, the principle of freedom of the seas, as well as the role of the principle of equity, good faith, historic rights and title, the obligation to settle disputes peacefully, the maintenance of international peace and security, the protection of the rights of coastal states and non-coastal states, and the principle of permanent sovereignty over national resources. 
Several members commented on Article 62 of the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties and the question as whether sea level rise would constitute an unforeseen change of circumstances. A number of uh, members noted that there should be no distinction in that regard between land and maritime boundaries, as reflected in the international jurisprudence, cited in the first issue's paper. Other members were more reserved and considered that additional studies should be undertaken on the issue, including an analysis of the pros and cons of each view. A point was also raised regarding the non-binding nature of bilateral maritime boundary agreements upon third states. Another view stated that maritime agreements establishing boundaries were treaties binding upon all states, which is without prejudice to the obligation of parties to such treaties to take due account of the legitimate rights of third states in regard to their maritime entitlements, in accordance with UNCLOS. It was noted that the matter needed to be further examined, including from the perspective of objective regimes in international law. The issue of islands, artificial islands and rocks was also examined. For instance, a point was raised on the need for clearer guidelines to distinguish between the construction of artificial islands for the purpose of preservation of entitlements from the construction of artificial islands to create artificial entitlements. A view was expressed that coastal fortifications should not be abused to make extensive maritime entitlements. The study group considered that additional research into this area could be conducted. It was also suggested that the study group and the Commission ought to be clear and transparent from the beginning in distinguishing between Lex Lata, Lex Ferenda and policy options. The view was expressed that any conclusions reached by the Commission could provide states particularly affected by sea level rise with practical legal solutions that would preserve their rights and entitlements under the law of the sea by explaining existing rules and proposing new ones where lacuna existed. It was also pointed out that the study group should extend its study of state practice and opinion juris to regions for which scarce, if any, information had been made available, including Asia, Europe and Latin America. And it was also suggested to continue the work on Africa. In doing so, the study group would examine the interrelation between state practice and sources of law by assessing whether such practice is relevant to customary international law or whether it is pertinent to treaty interpretation. The study group would also examine the maritime zone notifications deposited with the UN Secretary General and the national legislation accessible on the website of the Division of the Law of the Sea and Ocean Affairs of the Office of Legal Affairs to determine whether states do or do not update such notifications and laws. All in all, it was a very fruitful discussion which will feed the activity of the study group on the law of the sea aspects related to sea level rise. This work will continue during the next quinquennium when the co-chairs will elaborate in 2023 and I hope that both authors of the first issue's paper will have the chance to continue their work on, on this topic during a subsequent mandate. A new issue's paper on those law of the sea aspects that need to be further considered as stemming from the 2021 debate of the study group. During the next session of the Commission in 2022, a second issue's paper will be produced under the co-chairpersonship of Mrs. Galvao Teles and Mr. Ruda Santolaria as a basis for the discussion in the study group at the 73rd session. It will examine the aspects related to statehood and those related to the protection of persons 
affected by sea level rise. During the following quinquennium, the study group would then seek to elaborate a final substantive report on the topic by consolidating the results of the work undertaken during the 72nd and 73rd sessions of the Commission, and of course based on the comments by states in the 6th Committee. Before concluding, I would like to say that beyond the intricacies of the legal debate, what is really important is to maintain the focus on the main purpose of our work, that is to respond to a very concrete and real concern of a large number of states affected by sea level rise, which prompted their request for the Commission to take up this topic on its agenda. And this concern needs concrete legal solutions and instruments. It is perhaps for the first time in a long period of time when the ILC responded promptly to such a concern and request and introduced on its agenda this topic. It is therefore our duty as members of the Commission to do our best within the limits of the Commission's mandate to provide such solutions and instruments, thus proving that the International Law Commission is efficient and raises up to its distinguished reputation. Thank you so much for your kind attention.